and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We are glad you're here with us at Perimeter Church today. Uh, If you weren't here last week, we started a new series called Greater Love. This series is all about the greater love that Jesus has shown his church, this love that is so immense that he would lay down his life for sinners, a love that is not only something we as his people receive, but a love that is supposed to flow out from us as his people. This morning... Our text is 1 Timothy chapter 1, and it is that very love that is being threatened. There are false teachers who have come into the midst of God's people, and they are telling them a version of the gospel that is just slightly different from the truth. They're using Christian language, they're using Christian verbiage, but Paul says they are missing the one thing that is always true, a faith that is truly Christian. He says in verse 5, the love that issues forth from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith. And in these words here in verses 12 to 17, he is calling the church back to the only thing that can produce that kind of fruit. The only reality which can save one that Paul knows and experiences and rejoices in and he would have us rejoice into. And here's what he says, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning as a people who are more needy than we know. And Lord, I, I confess as I stand here on this stage and I prepare to preach the good news of a gospel that extends to us such grace that it is impossible for us in our own power to comprehend it, Lord, I confess that I, I, I don't comprehend it. Lord, my heart is conflicted and it is confused and I am so prone to take even things like this should, that should be about you and your glory and to make them about me and mine. I pray forgive me. Lord, I need the same truths that are in this passage as much today as I did the very first day. And I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would take this word, this trustworthy word, and you would press it deeply into the very depths of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I, uh, I love music. Music has always been something that I have gravitated towards. The problem is I don't have a skill to do it. Uh, I can't do what Jeff did last week. If I pulled out a guitar from one of these places back here, you would be right to probably flee the room. It would be horrific. It would be bad. But I love music. I like to listen to it. Uh, when I come home, the first thing I do is I turn on the Bluetooth speaker and I scroll through Spotify and I'm trying to find what playlist are we going to hear as we prepare for dinner and my daughter and I dance around and we do silly family things. It doesn't matter if I'm mowing the lawn or preparing a sermon or washing the dishes, there is music. I love it. And I don't just love music, I love hymns. I love them for their language, I love them for the depth of the theology. But most of all, I love them because for some reason, God just uses them to feed my soul. And so I'm always looking for different versions of old hymns. And if you have ever gone down the rabbit trail that is the internet, sometimes you find some weird things. Uh, things that maybe you didn't expect, but that are interesting nonetheless. And what I found with hymns is that is quite often the case. There are some strange versions of hymns out there. But there's one, this rendition of amazing grace, that, that hymn that John Newton, that slave trader turned preacher made so famous, that one that if I say the first words, you know the rest of the song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's a great song. And this version by Cat Power, it's beautiful. The vocals are gorgeous. The instrumentation's fantastic. But there's something just a little off. She's saying some of the right words, but not all of them. There are certain verses that have been dropped or changed or transformed. She's slurring her words at different points. The whole time, you're kind of going, what in the world is happening? Until finally, at the very end, she says this, amazing grace, you know the rest. And it struck me. She sounded like the, a woman singing that song in the same way that I read that mermaid book my daughter loves about a merminny named Aqua for the 80th time. She's bored. It's a truth that either was never precious or was precious once and is no more. And she looks at it and it feels dry and stale. And so she says the words and goes, why do I need to say anything more? You know it. You know, I worry sometimes that that's what happens to us as the church with these words of Paul. This saying that is trustworthy and deserving of our full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. You know, those are precious words. If you were like me, when I first came to faith, those were words that felt like life itself because I felt my sin, I knew my sin, and I needed to know there was somebody who loved me. But there is this tendency, isn't there, of once we come to faith, and those sins that first made us ashamed begin to kind of fade out a little bit, and we begin to look more like the other people sitting in this room. We know the right language, the right words, 
we do the right stuff, there begins to be this subtle shift where we start realizing that everything is from grace and undeserved to beginning to believe in our hearts, if not with our lips, that maybe we're just a little bit better than the people outside. And we do the very thing the false teachers here in Timothy do. And the degree to which we have done this, the degree to which we have grown bored with this most precious of truths is revealed in this. This question of, do we love? And not just people like us, not people that make us comfortable, but even the people our society would look at and say, these are the very worst. And do we love them? with the same love that Jesus loved us. A sacrificial, pursuing, passionate love. Paul, in these verses, he is calling us back to the song of grace that never ceases to amaze. He is saying the saying is trustworthy and deserving of your full acceptance. You can throw your weight on this and it will not fail. It will not fall. It is a truth to be embraced with your whole heart. Jesus Christ came for one reason. Not to condemn sinners. Not to give them some new way to live and then eventually he might let them in. He came for one purpose, to save them. And Paul is saying, I don't just say these things are true. I know them because I've experienced them. Two times he says these words, I received mercy. Verse 13 and verse 16. What he's describing is not mercy as an object. It's not Jesus came and said, here's this thing called mercy, enjoy it. It's mercy as an active force. Literally in the Greek, it is, I was mercied. Jesus mercied me. He slammed into my life. I was a man going in one direction and on one path, and he slammed into my life and sent me hurtling down a radically different one, and thank God he did. And here is the movement of that mercy. Wherever it is known, wherever it is embraced, mercy, the mercy of Jesus, the mercy he gives to his people, it shows itself in this. It is a mercy that reveals, a mercy that delivers. And ultimately, always, it is a mercy that overflows in the love that issues from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith. And it starts, it starts by revealing who we are and not who we imagine ourselves to be. Those words of John Newton, the blind are suddenly made to see. Paul says, here's what Jesus in his mercy revealed me to be. Verse 13, I was a persecutor, I was a blasphemer, and I was an insolent opponent. You know, if you're familiar at all with the story of Paul, that's not a strange statement. I mean, this is the story we know, isn't it? In the book of Acts, Paul's the guy who breathes threats out against the church. He's the one who rejoices when Stephen, the first martyr, is killed. He's the one who is so set 
on eradicating the church and everything it represents, destroying this man Jesus and his blasphemy and his lies and cutting it out of the world, that he goes to the religious leaders and he gets a letter that lets him arrest and kill whoever he needs to to wipe out this thing. But if you were to come to Paul, as he is walking along the road to Damascus, and you asked him who he was, he would not have said these things, would he? He wouldn't have said, I was a persecutor. He wouldn't have said, I was a blasphemer. He wouldn't have said, I was an insolent opponent. You ask Paul that question, and Paul would have looked you straight in the face, and he would have said, I'm the faithful one. I'm a sinner, but I am not like the rest. I'm not like the ones the egregious sinners he mentions here in verses 9 and 10, the ones whose sin deserves the penalty of death, the ones who strike their fathers and their mothers, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the homosexual, the perjurer, or the ones who teach false doctrine. He would have said, I'm a sinner, but I'm not them. Here's who I am. I'm the man, as he says in Philippians 3, who was born into the right family. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You want to find somebody who followed the Lord? I was the best you were going to find. He would have said, I'm not a persecutor or a blasphemer. I'm the one who protects God's people from those who would lead them astray. And the most dangerous threat of all is this man, Jesus, who pretends that he's God. I'm not an insolent opponent of God. I am the man who is zealous for him and meditates on his law day and night, and I will do whatever it takes to protect his good name. If anyone deserves God's favor, it's me. And then all of a sudden, in a flash of light on a dusty road, Everything that Paul thinks about himself and his place in this world crumbles into ashes and dust. Because he finds himself face to face with the one person that he absolutely does not want to see. A man that he was convinced is dead and now he discovers, much to his chagrin, is very much alive. Who stares this man in the face who thinks he is a protector of God's people and a warrior for God and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I wonder sometimes what that moment was like. To be standing there and to have your whole world and identity suddenly crumble. And to realize that you are not a man who was God's friend, you were literally one who had lifted your hand, not just against his people, but against his son. You were not the one defeating blasphemy. You were the one literally blaspheming God every time you mocked the name of Jesus and every time you killed one of his people and you hurt him so deeply, he says, why are you persecuting, not my church, but me? And Paul is suddenly, he's revealed to be this man that he never imagined himself to be, but now he sees he is because Jesus in his mercy shows him. He's not a man set apart from the egregious sinners. He is one of them, and not just is he one of them, he is the very worst. A while back, I was listening to this interview between two comedians and they were talking about their careers and the guys that they had respected as they were coming up in the business. 
And as they were talking, they came to this one name that suddenly made them both profoundly uncomfortable. A man whose name you might recognize, a man named Bill Cosby. A man that they had respected, a man whose work they admired, a man that they looked up to and emulated and thought, here is the comedian who somehow can make clean things funny. Here's the man who's the comedian of family values. He's the guy that if you want to sell jello pudding, you go to him because he seems like a guy you can trust. You want your kids to say the darndest things? Bill Cosby's your dude. But what they were lamenting on that podcast was this. This man that they had so admired. This man that they had looked up to. This man whose work they had respected and loved. He had been revealed to be something different than what he projected himself to be. He wasn't the family-friendly moral man. He was an abuser of women and a rapist of women. And they were looking at him and his life and his work and going, we don't know what to do with this. And one of them said something that stuck with me. He said, isn't it sad that almost every time we find a hero, no matter how good they may seem, no matter how altruistic, isn't it sad that it's almost always revealed that there's a shady underbelly? The gospel, the gospel that Paul is preaching, it says that's not just true of Bill Cosby and of Paul. That's true of every one of us. We may hide it. We may try to dismiss it. We may imagine ourselves and present ourselves to be something other than that. But Jesus in his mercy will not let us hide. He reveals us to be not what we imagined ourselves to be, but what we really are, and that is a people, sinners in need of a Savior. Men and women who are condemned not just because of evil actions, though we have those, but because of evil hearts. Who didn't love God, but hated Him. And who projected and showed that love with every decision where we looked at His will and our own and we said, I'd rather have my way. And what has so struck Paul is that Jihad doesn't just do this all at once. It's not a revelation that happens in one moment and then he moves on. It is something that God does day after day after day, revealing layer after layer after layer of sin. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. In verse 13 he says, Formerly I was a persecutor and a blasphemer, and an insolent opponent. Verse 15, something's changed. Paul the apostle, the preacher of God's word, the writer of scripture, the man who speaks with the authority of God because of the office that he's in. Paul, that Paul. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Not I was. And it's not because he's suddenly done actions more evil than the ones he did before, because he's not stoning Christians anymore, is he? 
What's happening to Paul is he has seen more and more and more of what has always been in his heart and he has been blind to. And with every passing day, as layer after layer is opened, he is becoming a man who once said, thank God I am not like other men, to the tax collector in Jesus' parable who says, have mercy on me, the sinner. And what we see here in Paul, that is what Jesus does to us. If we know him, this is how he works. You know, I remember in my own story, I remember sitting right over there, and I've shared this before, but I remember Randy Pope talking about communion, and it was like that light that shone on Paul shone on me. And suddenly I saw my life as it was, and not as I imagined it to be, and I saw myself as a drunk and a rebel and someone running from God, someone whose heart was broken and needy. But if I'm really truthful, what God revealed that day What he has shown since then is that the problem was actually far worse than I even knew. And my heart is far more treacherous. My eyes are far more blind. And I am far more in need of one who would show me my disease that I would actually seek the cure. Jesus, in his mercy, reveals layer after layer, day after day, digging deeper and deeper and deeper, not because he's cruel or vindictive, but because he wants us to see our need. That we can't save ourselves. That there is no good in us. That we would lament not just evil actions, but evil hearts. And we would finally come to a place with, where with everything we have, we would embrace the one who in mercy doesn't just reveal our sin. He delivers us from it. Paul says, here's the saying that is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The eternal son of God who dwelt in perfect holiness and righteousness and peace in heaven. In perfect communion with his father. He came into this sin-soaked broken, fallen, crooked world. And he endured its pollution. As the holy, holy, holy God, he endured its sin. If we think we're offended by sin, can you imagine what he might have felt every day? And he came and he died a brutal death on a shameful cross for one reason, and that was to save even the very worst of sinners. People like you and people like me and people like Paul. And here's the radical, glorious nature of that deliverance. He delivers by declaring the faithless faithful. Look at verse 12. You know, when I read this text, I have this tendency to run down to verse 15 because that's the money verse. I think verse 12 might be better. But look at what it says. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Sit on that for a second. What is the one thing that Jesus in his mercy has revealed that Paul absolutely is and was not? 
faithful. Paul wasn't faithful. Paul was a man who broke the law in the deepest way possible. He struck a blow at the very heart of God. And yet somehow, mysteriously, Jesus looked on him and judged him faithful. So faithful, he doesn't just bring him into his people, he appoints him to his service in the highest office that could exist in the church. And he does it, not after some trial period where he goes, Paul, I'm going to save you, but you've got a year to show me you have some value. He does it from the very moment of his conversion. A flash of light falls on a dusty road and Paul realizes who he is. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then in the very next breath, by the way, you're my chosen instrument for the Gentiles. Good luck. It makes no sense. It, it's astonishing. It's crazy. I mean, if you took the most vocal supporter of ISIS and said, by the way, we're making you the president of the United States, it wouldn't be weirder. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And yet Paul says this is 100% totally true, and it is true not just for me, but for every one of God's people, and for this reason, not because of us, not because of what I've done, but Jesus he judged me faithful. Why? Not because of my faithfulness, but because of his. He is the one who entered a world that hated him, a world he knew would crucify him because it stood opposed to everything that he represented. And he is the one he is the one who came and who died not accidentally but willingly not just because it displayed something, but because he so loved me, a man who hated him, that he was willing to die even for me. So that the penalty I deserved, it would not fall on me, but instead it would fall on the spotless lamb. The one who, as he says in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, gave his life as a ransom, not just for Paul, but for all. And it is that Jesus who now presents him, not just as a man with a second chance, because that's not the gospel. He presents him as one who is faithful and righteous and pure and holy. As one cloaked with the perfect righteousness, not that Paul could attain, but that only Jesus had, and yet Jesus and his love freely bestowed upon him. There's a reason that Paul starts verse 12 with thanksgiving and then ends in verse 17 with doxology. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. He can't speak of it and not shout out praise. Because here's the gospel for us. In Jesus, even if you have spent your whole life lying Cheating, stealing, doing all the worst things in Jesus, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus did for you in Jesus, you have been declared by God himself honest and truthful and just. In Jesus, even if you have given your body to people that you regret, in Jesus you were declared holy and righteous and pure. 
in Jesus. In Jesus. Even if you have used your lungs and your tongue to destroy the very self-esteem of the children you've been stewarded to protect, in Jesus you were declared one whose every word has been spoken only to build up and encourage. One who would even lay down their life for the sake of another, even as Jesus did for you. And it is holy and completely a gift of grace. It's mercy. And what astonishes Paul is that Jesus doesn't just declare him faithful. He makes him so. Look at verse 12. He thanks him, the one who judged him faithful and appointed him to his service. But he thanks him very specifically for this. I thank him who gave me strength. Verse 14. He says, I received mercy, though I acted ignorantly in an unbelief, but Jesus, his grace overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, here's the mercy of Jesus to me. He doesn't just reveal my sin day by day, degree by degree, and dig deeper and deeper and deeper. He doesn't just declare me righteous. In his mercy and in his power and in his grace, he day by day makes me, by his power and his power alone, into something that I never could be and never was. One who does not just call himself faithful, but one who truly and really, in flesh and blood, real living life, actually is. And he did it, as he says in verse 16, for this reason. That in Paul, the very worst of sinners, we would see the perfect patience of Jesus for people just like you and me. And we would realize that if God could do that in Paul, if he could declare him faithful and at the same time make him so, then there is nothing stopping him from doing it to you and doing it to me. This is the song of grace that never ceases to amaze. This is a mercy that slides into our lives and radically transforms how we view ourselves and we view the world and takes us from one path in one kingdom into another path in another kingdom. And all by the work of one who came for one purpose and one only, and that is to save sinners. It is a mercy that reveals and a mercy that delivers, and ultimately, always, it is a mercy that overflows. The Paul, the Paul who's writing this letter is not the same one who was on the road to Damascus, is he? He's not the one who is breathing threats out against the church and seeking with whatever he could to eradicate the name of Jesus. Now he's a man who starts every single letter with grace and mercy and peace, who is so concerned for the church, he risks his life for the church's sake. He's a man who used to say, I am not like the rest, and I was faithful, and as to the law, I was blameless. And now he's a man who says, I am the foremost of sinners. There is no one who could have sinned as deeply and as badly as me. If you saw my heart, you would know it to be true. And yet I know this. 
There was mercy even for me. And I want you to know it too. The man who would have walked to the other side of the street to avoid even coming within a few feet of a Gentile, let alone eat or drink with them. He becomes the man who doesn't just eat and drink at their tables and enter their homes. He becomes one who risks life and limb that they would know the same precious gospel that has saved him. The mercied became the merciful. It overflowed in a love that issues from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith. That's the story of John Newton, too. John Newton is the man who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, that I mentioned earlier, and he is, for me, one of my pastoral heroes. The best $4.99 you could spend... I wish I could say this as a command, would be to go on your Kindle and buy his letters. They are absolutely fantastic because he drips mercy. He is a man who has been so broken by his sin and yet so overcome by Jesus that it literally comes through in every word. If your heart is weary and wounded and sick and sore, John Newton is the one who would show you a Jesus whose mercy extends further than you could ever dream. And while I love that hymn, Amazing Grace, I love the story behind it even more. Because there's a part of it that I think many of us are familiar with, but there is another part that we tend to forget. We tend to go from John Newton, the slave trader, to John Newton, the preacher and the abolitionist, and we skip the whole journey in between. Because here's the part we're familiar with. John Newton was a man raised by a mother who loved Jesus, who taught him from his very earliest days that there was a Savior who could save even the worst of sinners and could save even him. And John heard that and said, I don't care. He went to sea. He became not just someone who participated in the slave trade, but a captain on a slave ship. He participated in all of the atrocities and barbarities you could imagine on those ships, and as he himself would later say, he had blood on his hands. He was a blasphemer, openly mocking God. He was a man who didn't just delight in sin, but delighted even more in getting other people to join in it with him. Until one day, in 1748, in the midst of a storm, Jesus mercied him. And this man who had lived his life raging against God suddenly saw himself as he was. And he saw where he was going. And in the same moment, he heard that tender voice of Jesus that his mother had longed he would hear. There is one who would save sinners, even you. And it was a couple weeks later that Newton sat down at a table and he penned the first verse of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. But here's where we mess the story up. We forget something. It doesn't jump from here to him fighting the slave trade with William Wilberforce. It doesn't skip from here to him being instrumental in it being abolished in England. What we forget 
is that it would be another six years after he penned that first verse of the hymn in 1748, another six years before he left the slave trade as a captain. And that he left, not because of conviction, but because his health would no longer allow him to participate. We forget that even after he became a pastor, he continued to invest financially in the trade. We forget that in 1772, when he finished that hymn and published it, in a little book with, he wrote with William Cooper called Only Hymns, we forget that it would be another 16 years. 16 years. In 1788, before he would finally confess his sin and renounce that trade as an evil, as something that is reprehensible, as something that stood opposed to the very gospel that for 40 years he had been proclaiming. 40 years. You want to know why John Newton drips mercy? It's because Jesus wouldn't leave him alone. And he took a man who thought he had been blind and now saw, and he showed him that there were depths he had not yet seen. And he kept cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting so that he saw more of his broken, sinful heart and the evil that his hands had participated in and continued to. But around every corner, in every nook, in every cranny, in the same place where mercy was revealing him to be a man who was lost in sin, there was Jesus, declaring the faithless one faithful. Taking him and not just declaring him faithful, but making him so. An instrument who once perpetuated the slave trade to one who fought it with everything he had until the day he died. My prayer for us as a church, my prayer for my own heart, is that Jesus would mercy us in that way. That we would not be those who sit there and say, you know, I might have some sins I haven't seen, but they couldn't be as bad as John Newton's. To those who realize that John Newton would have said the same thing. And yet he had a heinous sin that we would all look at and say, that should not have stood that we would never be able to look down on anyone because we would acknowledge fully and freely, even as Paul did, that there are depths to our heart that are yet unseen. But in the same moment, we would know the tenderness and the kindness and the sufficiency of this Jesus who comes to the very worst of sinners, the most broken among us, and does not just declare us faithful, but makes us so. May we be the mercied who become the merciful. Those that mercy does not just reveal and deliver, but those through whom mercy overflows. Who sing with all that we have, with every bit of our heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved and saves 
and saves and saves and saves. Even wretches like you and me. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world for one purpose, to save sinners, even the very worst. Amen. Father, we come to you, Lord, as a people more needy than we know, and Lord, I confess, more broken than we, I think, could even bear to know if you revealed it to us all at once. And yet, Jesus, you are also one who is sufficient to save and to save to the uttermost. Lord, drive us to yourself. Mercy your people so that we would be those who do not just experience this mercy, but those through whom mercy overflows and the love that issues from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith in the one who saves sinners, even the very worst. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.